Brothers and sisters, let's bow our heads before I begin. Let us pray. Dear Lord, may your light shine forth, that it would illumine these words and shine light into our hearts, Lord, and clear away the darkness that so resides there so often. And may your words, Lord, be a light unto our feet, that we may walk steadfastly and surely in the way of the Lord. We ask this, O Lord, and commit this entire exposition and reading and proclamation, Lord, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, particular portion of scripture in 1 John is uh, what we would call the first out of possibly three or maybe even more letters uh, that come from the Apostle John. And if you've been uh, following us uh, in the reading plan for the year, uh, we've just moved from the book of John to the letter of John, uh, 1 John. And the thing about letters is you don't read letters chapter by chapter. Uh, occasionally, at times, you may look at a snippet. So if you imagine in your older times, when uh, in the older generations, people to, used to write letters to each other, uh, you, you don't read one page and then stop and say, I'll continue the second page another day. Uh, you actually read through the entire letter. And so when you read the entire letter for what it is, John is essentially dealing with certain issues with respect to fellowship within the church. And there's a group of people who are in a way breaking up the fellowship and they were said to be people who uh, tended to go into this whole idea of secret knowledge or special knowledge that make them an exclusive bunch of people and the other people were not going to be a part of that. And that disrupted uh, their joy. And so we come to this letter, and in order to, to prime you to, to think about this uh, particular question, I'd like to ask uh, this first question. What would complete your joy, or our joy, uh, this Chinese New Year? I particularly used to like asking uh, Chinese New Year uh, this question for our children. I know when I was younger, it would have completed my joy if I achieved a certain target for my Chinese New Year Ang Pao. <laughs> or it would complete my joy if I went to so and so, uh, you know, uh, we had in our Pranakan uh, culture, we call it uh, Ko, Ko Moli, uh, was one of the ladies who always did all this Pranakan Kueh. <laughs> and so it would complete my joy if she had a particular, uh, we call it the Kueh Bantal. I don't know how many of you know this. Uh, kueh bantal is pulot. Actually, it's a pulot. Uh, and it was very nice, very tasty. You eat it and it's like, well, bliss. <laughs> but what is the difference between joy and happiness? You see, when I receive the ang pao, I look at this, my, 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 my joy is very short-lived. And so you realize that that's not really joy. Uh, because happiness is what you feel but joy is what remains. It, it continues. You see, I, I received the ang pao. The first one might be $5. I used to have an aunt who would give a, a 50 cent. Uh, and and I, I, we used to wonder amongst our friends, you know, it's like, why, you know, 
ni eh, Tachi ni selalu bagi 50 sen saja. Then finally one day she blurted out, itu shilling paling besar. <laughs> And so we used to think that what good give us joy is more of something. But in the reality of it is, it is just a temporary happiness because something else is replaced by something greater. But if you ask most of the older people or those who have lived and eaten more salt, you know, uh, who have uh, uh, longer memories, the thing that gives them great joy uh, and anticipation that sees them through a longer period of highs and lows is fellowship, is companionship, is friendship, when people actually make the effort. So this year, you know, the ongoing question in my family is like, I'm up in Penang now. <laughs> And so to visit relatives, it's way, way, way down in Malacca. Uh, thankfully, it's not all the way over in Johor or, or the other side of, of, the, of uh, Malaysia, East Malaysia. But it's still a long drive. And I'm really thankful for some of our leaders who said, Pastor, maybe you should leave early on Sunday uh, so that you can get back and avoid the traffic. I said, it's all right, uh, I will preach uh, for three services and I'll go back tomorrow morning. Part of the difficulty going back reminds me that this is the amount of effort I'm willing to do in order to have fellowship with my relatives. But it's often quite lost on our young ones. Our young ones are like, I ah, troublesome, la. you cannot fly into Malacca. You, you have to drive and it's hot and you're, you're bored. Why do we go through all this trouble? And John, in a way, is touching on some of these issues because at the heart of what he's saying, and even if you forget all my illustrations, is this whole idea of fellowship or koinonia with God, and not just with God, but with one another. So let's look at the text. I invite you to keep your Bibles open. And also, uh, if you have your bulletin in the middle, uh, there are these fill-in-the-blanks that help you to track where I'm at. So let's begin this. <clears throat> John deals with some foundational issues. Uh, he begins in the first statement in verse 1, that which was from the beginning. So he makes a proclamation, but it's a rather a convoluted way of saying this. In fact, his sentence in the first three verses is one of the most difficult Greek sentences. He goes on, The NIV makes it a little bit easier by saying uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. And then you see in your NIV dash, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, in actual fact, that word, this we proclaim, doesn't actually happen until the third verse in the actual Greek. So it's a very long sentence about John going back to the beginning. And if we were to think about it, uh, if we go back to the beginning, what do we think of? Uh, as far as the Jewish mind is concerned or as far as people are concerned, if you go back all the way to the beginning, even before the beginning, we would say God. God was there. But what John is emphasizing is not so much about God, but Jesus, who is also there. So he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. And so there's a series of this statement, the word of life, that which. In the Greek, again, something interesting happens. That term, that which, or which, in the, in the Greek is just a 
Omega, sorry, it's an O, Omicron, not Omega, Omicron, uh, that which uh, was from the beginning is a neuter term. In other words, it is neither male nor female, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. That which was from the beginning, and, and so we read this, and I'd like you to see how many times it mentions the word which. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. In all of this uh, complicated uh, Greek and English as well, the key point that he wants to tell to us is that he is proclaiming about this word of life which was from the beginning and is now made in person, incarnate. Okay, to be incarnate is to be brought into existence. Now, I'd like you to also consider what John is saying is, we have seen with our eyes, we have heard with our ears, we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Again, in the Greek, uh, why does he say we have seen, but we have looked at as well? Why does he do it in two different ways? Well, because the Greek meaning is slightly different. To see is to notice something, and it's uh, the same way that you, you look at your wife in the morning when she's pottering around, and that's seeing her. But then to actually study and to look at and to consider with love and affection. That is what John is saying. It's not just noticing and seeing. It is looking at, pondering, and in a way, having a deeper relationship out of what we see. I think most of you who have fallen in love before know what that means. You know, there's a difference between a, a girl that you see and a girl that you're looking at. There's a greater depth to it that conveys more meaning in what the eyes are seeing. And so John is saying, it is no longer a thing that pre-existed. That thing has now become, that word has now become life incarnate in the form of Jesus Christ. One whom he personally had touched. So this is a witness and testimony of a first apostle who saw the living word walking and breathing among them. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. <clears throat> then he continues with this particular verse. The life appeared, we have uh, seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and appeared to us. Okay? The life was therefore made manifest, and this is eternal life. So this is another thing which we are, in a way, being introduced to. John is giving a theology of understanding God. This life, this word of life that was with God right from the beginning is now made alive, and He is this eternal life. He's bringing to us this particular equation that the word of life, which is the eternal life, is the person and works of Jesus Christ. 
So if you were to ask the question, what is the gospel? The gospel is not just about what Jesus did. The gospel is also Jesus himself, which is why you cannot receive the logic and the, the works of Jesus without receiving the person of Jesus himself. Now, I, I must say this quite importantly <laughs> because many people sometimes get It's a difference between I receive an idea which makes a lot of sense as opposed to I now receive a person who embodies this whole idea in a relationship. Because you cannot receive a person other than in a relationship, a koinonia, if we call it that. Why is this particularly important? Because mental assent and mental understanding or knowing is not really knowing without that relationship. Without that, and in the, in the technical Greek term that is used, it is without that fellowship with a real being, a person. You also cannot know fellowship without receiving the truth. And this truth is the very thing that John is proclaiming. Now, what do we mean by this? There are people who say, I don't need to know. I just feel up. I just have a relationship. I just, uh, I just receive Jesus. You know, no need to explain to me all this deep theology, complicated stuff. Well, that's really a bit of a problem because it requires not just a reception of a relationship, but also the reception of the truth. Receiving the truth is essential to this because without the truth, what you're really actually having fellowship with is something which is a figment of your imagination something that you created yourself. Of late, when I do uh, marriage counselling, uh, you know, when, when people want to get into a relationship, uh, when they are dating, uh, they date someone because they like the package that they see across the other side. But when they're going to get married, <laughs> my job is to make sure that they get in touch with the truth of what the other person is, which also means dealing with your partner's sin. All of us are sinful. Okay, we might, we might have our nice package, uh, and our packaging obviously hides all the little minefields and bombs that we have in our, our relationship. So uh, I, tell, I tell a lot of my friends when they're doing dating, when you date, you like the package, but when you get married, are you willing to accept what is in the package? the truth of what it is. And so fellowship cannot basically proceed any further without receiving the truth. The truth of who Jesus is is essential in order for you to have a true relationship. So we're not in love with a figment of what we believe to be based on our own ideas, but we're in love with what Jesus truly is, and that is the light that comes to us. So, <clears throat> what then makes your joy complete? I go with this uh, based on verse 3. Uh, verse 3 and verse 4. Again, follow me in the text. We proclaim to you 
what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete or your joy complete. Okay, I say there, uh, our or your, because uh, there are different texts. Some of it say our, some of it yours. But either way, when I proclaim this, I am making our joy complete. Now, why does John say that until this happens, your joy is incomplete? Until this happens, John is saying that your joy is incomplete. He's giving us a foundational principle of truth which we need to wrestle with and see whether this is how we understand what Jesus is saying. If you were to really think about what really matters in life and if you had any opportunity uh, when you're at the deathbed of a person, the person at the deathbed very rarely will say to, to himself, you know, I wished I had more of this or more of that or I spent more time doing all this stuff. Quite often, it is always reflected in relationships. In relationships. I wish I loved this person more. I wish I'd said so and such and such to this person because it is a reflection of the fellowship and kononia. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking and unpacking this word fellowship. In the Greek term, that term fellowship is translated as koinonia, not koinonia, koinonia. I know your Chinese New Year already thinking of kue. Koinonia uh, is a term which is often used in business partnerships and marriage relationships. It's that kind of uh, relationship. Now, I might have a relationship with, with let's say, like Tong Jin as lay leader, a relationship based on mutual uh, trust and mutual commitment towards a common goal. But we're not exactly in a marriage relationship because the marriage relationship goes further. Any husband and wife knows that a marriage relationship, whatever happens to the wife is effectively happening to you as well. The two shall become one. Same thing with a partnership. You know, I used to have friends who come up to me and said, why didn't you just stay as a sole proprietor? Or why didn't you just be a partnership? You know, why did you set up a company instead? And the issue was, uh, when you're in a partnership, uh, one of the most important things which you will learn in company law is that in a partnership, you are jointly and severally liable. Uh, you can check with lawyers later on. You're jointly and severally liable, which means if my partner does something wrong and he is charged with negligence, all his property and all his assets are subject to claim, but not only his, mine too, because he's my partner. So whatever happens to him happens to me to the fullest extent. In a limited liability company, if the company goes bankrupt, that's it. My assets are safe because it's in my name. And so this is the term. The fellowship is one that you are so tight that you are effectively seen as one. Do you now understand what it means when we say fellowship with God, koinonia with God, and koinonia with one another? It means that we are jointly bound together in this alignment that is so tight 
that we're seen together as one. And this is consistently how the Bible defines it. You are the body, one body, not many bodies. You are the body of Christ, one. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What happens to the least of you happens to the greatest of you. But in our world of uh, specialization and separation and distinction, uh, what's yours is yours, what's mine is mine, whatever happens to you is your problem. It is inconsistent with the light of what Scripture tells us to care for one another. And I think when we truly understand what it is, we realize how far short we are falling from that standard. So eternal life is now defined in terms of fellowship. Let me read that again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we seen with our eyes, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, Jesus Christ, so that you may have fellowship with us. That truth that John declares is necessary in order that people would have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. In other words, he is making this proclamation of the truth of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and His works. The person and the works of Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming this truth so that if you receive this truth, you can then be in this fellowship, relationship that is one. And when that happens, your joy is complete. Because until that happens, your joy may be only temporary. Because as soon as this life ends, without this fellowship, it's over. But with this fellowship, the greatest fellowship can now happen at the end of time because everyone will rise again and those who are a part of this fellowship will again come together for the greatest reunion dinner ever. I don't know whether you're looking forward to that. That's the one that is my target goal. Those who have gone before me, my uncles, my aunts, my friends, my loved ones, those that have been robbed of life through cancer, through death, through disasters the greatest reunion dinner that will happen when Christ comes. Then my joy will be completed. Just the other day, one of my friends wrote to me, uh, she lost her husband when she was uh, 30-something, and he also passed away quite young. He was uh, about a year or two younger than him. Uh, cancer and a growth in the brain. And, and this is five years on, and she's still saying, my heart is still in pain. Because I know that for him, his suffering is ended. Mine is still ongoing. A life without him. But I know for, for, for her, uh, really part of the joy that finally will happen that makes her life complete is the day when they will be together again. When we have that great reunion in the new heaven and the new earth, then that relationship will be complete that life complete. Until then, they are separated for a time. I have this term, happiness happens, joy remains. 
What is the difference between the two? Well, happiness is temporary. It happens. Bigger ang pao, bigger car, bigger whatever. But joy remains in the sense that joy will sustain you through many more difficult seasons. So that whenever bad things happen, the joy still remains. And our joy is that one day, we will be together with all those who have gone ahead of us. That's a real joy that cannot be taken. It basically overrides all the temporary ups and downs. I have this question. It's a bit of a conundrum. Are you a self-made man who worships his creator? Are you a self-made man who worships his creator? We might think that it's actually a good statement, except that if you are worshipping the creator and the creator, you know, the, the self-made man is one who creates himself. <laughs> what you're really saying is you, you worship yourself because I'm a self-made man. Another Christian commentator had this to say, God made man in his image and man returned the compliment by making God in his image. This is the argument in, in which it's presented in order to understand the following verses. If God is light and we are called to live in the light in fellowship with Him, then we must live according to His light, not according to our darkness. We do not create a God in our image. And this is what happens when we deny sin or we redefine sin. I like this statement. Um, John, as a theologian, is quite different from, say, Paul or Peter. Paul or Peter describe, uh, you know, describe the characteristics of God. But John actually makes a profound statements of what God is. So this message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, he makes uh, several other claims. <clears throat> I, I just want to put it there. Uh, John does uh, several of these claims. Uh, he says, God is light. God is love. Uh, so 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And in John chapter 4, verse 24, uh, in his other uh, book, John writes, God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. I also want to make a correction. A couple of weeks back when I was teaching about the work, um, what is the work of God? The work of God is to believe in, uh, in God and Jesus whom He sent. I gave a wrong reference. I gave uh, John chapter 6 verse 9 because I realized some members actually are following, you know, they're actually checking my notes. Huh? Pastor, the other day you said you referred to John chapter 6, verse 9. I went to John chapter 6, verse 9, got no reference of that sort. Actually, John chapter 6, verse 29. I left the two out. Okay, I need to make that correction. Truth is important, right? So the work of God is to believe in Him and also uh, His Son. That's just a minor correction. So, uh, God is light, God is love, God is spirit. And in 1 Timothy, Paul, 
makes the same statement. So this is not a formulation of the apostles themselves. This is something which, uh, which is what Jesus himself told his disciples. Because John says, that which we receive, we pass on to you. We've been told this, we've heard this from him, so we're conveying to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Okay. And Paul's reference to this unapproachable light, which is God himself, huh? not Jesus, God. Unapproachable light gives you this whole sense of righteousness and holiness. Then, John gives three tests. Three tests to determine if we are living in fellowship with God. In other words, whether we're living in light. He gives his first one, if we claim to have fellowship with, uh, with, uh, uh, with Him. Okay, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, to walk in holiness in the Greek understanding is to be in a direction, okay, in, in a similar direction. Does it mean that oftentimes, at times, you may actually be walking off track? Yes, it will happen. And so when you walk off track and you sin, that doesn't mean that you're eternally condemned. Okay. It means that when you're off track, you need to come back into this common direction. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So therefore, a person who says, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that we are called to live in the light and to walk in the Christian life, but I will continue to do the bad stuff I want to do, continue in that opposite direction that we are, then you're lying. Okay? And you're deluding yourself. Secondly, we are to remain in a fellowship of believers. This is John's emphasis. Huh? John emphasizes, one, that if you claim to have fellowship, one, you need to walk in the light, in other words, in a righteous and holy life consistently. But only, not only that, to remain in a fellowship of believers. Now, why is this an important thing to remember? Because you have many Christians who will say, oh, I love Christ, but I hate the church. And I refuse to be with them. What a bunch of hypocrites. And admittedly, yes, we are a bunch of hypocrites. And the one thing that turned my thinking about this is that if I love Jesus, and Jesus loves the church such that he gave his life for the church, how can I then deny the one thing that Jesus loves the most? It would seem very inconsistent with the Spirit of Christ. So if we're looking for the church in order to fill our needs, wrong place. Christ is the only one to do that. But if we're looking to see what it means to have fellowship with Christ and with one another, then remain in fellowship. It is very likely that it is in this fellowship that Jesus is using the fellowship to form you into what you need to be, which includes having hypocrites, having weeds in the kingdom having difficult people who lie, backstab you, because then you have to practice forgiveness, patience, love, because love covers a multitude of sins. Other people, you can say, ah, I don't need to hang out with you, 
But in the church, where it exists, that's where you have to stick with them and say, I have to choose. We choose our friends, we don't choose our family. Then John gives these three tests. If we claim to have no sin or have not sinned. So the first test of that, of whether a person is living in the light is, if he says he is living in fellowship but he continues in the darkness, fail. First test. Second test, if we claim to have no sin. If we claim to have no sin. And the third test is to claim that we have not sinned. Okay? Now, to claim to have no sin is a greater problem than to claim to have not sinned. Because to have no sin is to, to, in a way, to deny that there's nothing in me that sins. Because if we claim we have no sin, then Jesus died for no reason. <laughs> to die for no reason? Is he, are we making Jesus out to be a liar? Or are we ourselves lying or deluded? A true example of this is when we find people who basically justify what they are doing. In other words, they redefine what sin is. No lah, this is not sin. I'm doing this in order to protect the family and protecting the family is what God wants us to do, right? We redefine it. We reshape it so that it doesn't... Which therefore means we are making God in our image. If you truly want to live in the light, then let the light truly shine and it will be reflected for what it truly is. And we need to be unashamed in acknowledging that this is our problem. The text continues, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, one thing that is uh, not, a, not so apparent uh, is to cleanse us is a continuous tense. Okay, to continue to cleanse us because we continue to sin. Because some people will come to you and say, my theology is that when God forgives, His forgiveness is complete. Yes. But my sin continues until the day when I'm fully redeemed and the day when Christ comes. And so there is this continuous movement of walking with. We've not arrived at our destination. We're still walking there. So for those of you who say, I don't know about this. I keep having the same sin. I can't seem to be getting over this. My question is, are you getting better? Because that indicates that you're still moving in that direction. But if you're going in the opposite direction and getting worse, then we have a lot of things to deal with. Two things that I'd like you to think about. Are you a proclaimer of truth and joy? What is the truth? The truth of Christ Jesus. Are you sharing the gospel, the person and the works of Jesus Christ wherever you are? Are you a person that is sharing the joy of fellowship? In other words, you're not basically keeping to yourself and saying, oh, I don't want to hang out with all this bunch of hypocrites. And by so doing, calling yourself also a hypocrite? Or are you instead rejoicing in this one thing that gives us some measure of joy in this life? And secondly, if you test yourself in these three areas, are you walking in the light? Are you denying your sin? Are you saying that you are not committing sin? 
If these three things apply to you, Christ says, repent. Forgiveness is available to all. So will you do these th uh, two things, especially in the light of this Chinese New Year, take an opportunity to embrace a, someone in, in fellowship, appreciate them for the time that they are taking in order to spend this time in fellowship and relationship with you. And then also express what joy it is to have them and give to them the truth of Christ Jesus. And will you repent of your sin? To walk in the light. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, in your mercy and your grace, we ask, Lord, for your light to so shine and help us to have a fellowship with each other that transcends this life that we may truly know what eternal life is, to know God and to be with one another. We ask this, Lord, and commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.